Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who I'd never make wear a barrel clava if he got a perm. It's Greg. <laughs> How are you today, Greg? How's your perm? Oh, I wish I had the hair to sustain a perm. <laughs> Um, those days, I, f- I fear those days are long, long gone. Even if I did grow it, out. yeah, yeah, it's probably not advisable um, to get a perm because it might damage your the, the, the hair that you you still have. Yeah, exactly. If that if that was kind. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm all as well here. I went to see uh, Guns and Roses on Thursday evening with my uh, oldest daughter, mm-hmm. which was uh, never seen. And I know you've seen them a couple of times. You've seen uh, mm. the, the current lineup, yeah. which contains three fifths of the original lineup, <laughs> and you yes. and, uh, and one of the many sort of lineups uh, that the bands had over the years. Um, but I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guess my expectations were low because they definitely weren't. But I didn't expect them to be as phenomenally good as they mm. were. I mean, I used to have Guns N' Roses live in Japan on double VHS cassette when I was younger, and I watched it constantly. And I also had Guns N' Roses live in Paris that I taped off MTV. Um, yeah, but they had Aerosmith with them. They had Lenny Kravitz and stuff. So like, and a lot of the the sort of showmanship the, and musicianship that the but mainly showmanship that the band did like sort of 30 years ago they still do and Axel Rose's voice is um, like somebody had told me oh his voice isn't as good as it used to be it is Easily as good as it used to be. Yeah. Like honestly, like I, I'm, and I was thinking to myself, well, was was I just swept up in the occasion of seeing them? Because I was literally twenty feet away from them, which is something. If you told if you told eleven year old Greg who bought a bootleg copy of Appetite for Destruction from a market only because I knew there was swear words in the songs, <laughs> that I would be watching them. I mean, and the thing was, they they pretty much played. The whole of that album, all the all the bangers, all the ones that you would want them to hear, um, and they also played a couple of more obscure ones off um, the Spaghetti Incident and off uh, mm. their first album, their first EP, Live Like a Suicide. Yeah, it was fucking, it was fucking great. I mean, there was a wee bit of uh, you know showing off, I suppose. You know, Slash had to get his little moment of like five minute guitar solo. Duff got to sing a couple of songs. They wheeled the they, they wheeled the grand piano out for Axl Rose to play November Rain, but he was he was in such good form, right? Because everybody at the front, there was right at the front, was really 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 close to the stage. There was and there was mm. I, I couldn't see if there was any minders or anything in between the fans and the stage. The the um and they so people were like filming with their phones and taking pictures, and every now and again he'd stop and wave quite good naturedly to mm. um like people filming them. And if you remember, like thirty years ago, him actually starting a riot uh, because, <laughs> because somebody had like a big 90s video camera on their shoulder <laughs> fucking jumped into the crowd and set about him and then refused to play yeah so he seems to be really they, they all seemed in good form like you know Slash looks the same as he looked when he was staring down from my bedroom wall when I was a kid even Duff they all look healthy they all look like former drug and alcohol addicts that have uh, really sorted their lives out <laughs> you know what I mean they all yeah. they're, they're really fit and vital you know they, and what really surprised me because obviously it was in Abu Dhabi well that may not be obvious to listeners but it was in Abu Dhabi so I, I didn't expect um, some of the perhaps the kind of dirtier songs or the more sexy songs like, pre- like uh, Pretty Tight up and anything goes 
but they played they played both those songs and uh, pleasingly he screams do you know where the fuck you are Abu Dhabi at the beginning of Welcome <laughs> to the Jungle <laughs> which I also enjoyed yeah, we, when he was when he was singing about Friday night going up inside her and pretty tied up I was a little bit <laughs> I was a little bit uncomfortable because my daughter was my 15 year old daughter was beside me and he's making sort of uh, the gestures with the sneaky hands going you know that sort of stuff but um, yeah no I mean it was absolutely phenomenal but one thing I would say, which, you know, in this, the, the music snobbing me coming out, but not everybody who was there was there for the band. They were just there because no. it was an occasion. And it wasn't like, you know how like, if you go to like a concert in Scotland, there's a good chance. Remember when you and I went to see the Wu-Tang Clan? We went to Tina Park and we watched the Wu-Tang Clan and we and we got yeah. we got down near the front. And, yeah. and we sort of became like friends for a little while with everyone else down there. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, there wasn't any of that. I mean, I was... They, they, they played for a long time they played for three and a half hours by about three hours I was ready to fucking start punching people <laughs> just for because yeah. some people were absolutely hammered you know what I mean like proper fucking Saturday night drunk and uh, yeah so I just thought this would be much better in Glasgow or Edinburgh yeah. or Aberdeen than, uh, than in Abu Dhabi but yeah, it was still phenomenal. Once in a lifetime, I'm so glad I went. Yeah, that's always put me off in terms of concerts in the Middle East because a lot of people do just go because it's something to be seen at yeah. um, and they can take a photo. I know, I think it was the first time I saw them. First time I saw them was in Abu Dhabi. And I always say it was it's excellent friends that I saw because it was the yeah. Chinese democracy tour. Right. So it was before Slash and, you know, everyone is he had rejoined. So I remember at that there was like three guys in front of me. And I, I as like Guns Rose are going, I was I I had a few beers and I was just fucking really in my element. Yeah. And I like put my arm around these guys because we were pretty close yeah. to the stage as well. And start jumping up and down, go, fucking come on, guys. <laughs> Nothing. You'd you'd honestly think I'd just chat in their pint class and <laughs> presented it to them. So after that, I'm just like, what's the fucking point? Like, whereas it's exactly as you say, if that was in Glasgow and I'd be fucking covered in beer, yeah. we'd all be jumping about, come on, yes. It's, you know, I, I do miss that kind of thing. Mm. And yeah, the second time I saw them was, yeah, was the, the current um, uh, incarnation. And yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, Axel still, he's still fucking got it. Yeah. And I think what impressed me is, you know, you hear the, oh, I wonder what time they'll come on stage. Well, they came on stage exactly at yeah, the allotted yeah, time yeah. they should have, you know. Yeah. It's, there's none of that nowadays. And I think that is part of the, I think that was one of the, the conditions with maybe the rest of the band slashing yeah. everyone coming back together fair play they are they're very punctual play three and a half hours yeah, and you know, I know. So they're off stage and yeah. uh, it's it's perfect and you're right yeah they've still they've still got it yeah like they've lost nothing no, it's no. Um, amazing and then uh, I just want I want I want some new music that's what I want well they did release I want a new album they released a couple of songs a couple of years ago didn't they they released that song Absurd mm. which, they, which they played not I mean it's not exactly Paradise City you know but you know fair yeah. enough yeah um, and and another uh, school days or something, but I, I don't think they played school days. And uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they played a couple of songs off Chinese Democracy, which I vaguely recognise. I'm not listening to that album a whole lot, but yeah, I mean, mm. good value. And you know, just they just seemed. Maybe I'm reading too much. Maybe I'm sort of reading into it what I want to, but they just seemed quite chilled, enjoying themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like. Axel, Axel Rose, you know, he didn't say loads and loads in between songs and stuff, but every now and again he would have a little chat and 
you know, a little bit of light, light-hearted banter and stuff like that, and he would sort of gently make fun of a couple of the other guys in the band or whatever, and uh, yeah, it was just fucking, it was fucking great. Very good. Oh, wonderful. All right, well. What have you been up to? <laughs> so I just fucking spoke for 15 minutes about Guns and Roses. That's all right, mate. That's just quite all right. Um, I've been enjoying listening to you talk about Guns and Roses. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, right, well, I guess that's concluded the Guns N' Roses chat. <laughs> yeah. um, shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks? Hear the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, what have you seen in the last couple of weeks in Scotland that has caught your eye and you'd like to share with me and our lovely listeners? Well, I, su- I, th- I suppose I better give a, in the in the spirit of the 21st century, give a trigger warning before I read this story out. Anybody with an aversion to spiders might want to skip on, or you could just grow up and listen to it, so they're not going to do any harm. <laughs> but, you know, if you feel sensitive about it, you may want to skip on maybe five or ten minutes. But um, this is in the Scottish Sun on uh, the 30th of May. The new owner of a £1.2 million Scottish castle has revealed that she has been left terrified by hordes of spiders in her stately home. David and Chelom, I think I'm saying it right, Chelom Levitt bought Knockderry Castle, which is in Argyll and Butte, after its former owners were evicted. Doesn't say why they were evicted, but there's a picture of the castle. Fucking absolutely stunning. Hmm. David, 59, uh, was heavily involved in the case surrounding Nicholas Rossi. Leaving on a jet plane. Uh, a few... <laughs> <laughs> A few chef who was caught in, who was caught in a Glasgow hospital after faking his own death in America. The couple who have nine children, which might explain why they've had to buy a big castle, have hired Jesus. teams of experts to help their labour of love at Knockderry. But Chelum has told how she has been left fighting her fear of spiders as they get their castle revamp underway. She said, "Maybe it's the time of year, or maybe I'm just tuning into it." but this castle has spiders everywhere. I'm not spider-friendly or even spider-tolerant. I become dysfunctional around spiders. I think this is an evolutionary appropriate response. I I think she's being light-hearted there. I hope she is. Anyway, um, spiders are meant to be creepy. It's their defence mechanism. I don't know if they're going to creep or scurry or jump. It's dysregulating, which is a word I've never heard before. Uh... (laughs) This time I noticed this time I noticed these creepy crawlers everywhere. So I was on constant high alert. R- writing on a blog that details the castle renovations, she told how her husband came to her rescue after a spider invaded her bed, Nikki. <laughs> she added oh, no. She added, after a long day of meeting with architects, contractors and others, Dave and I were sitting in bed answering emails, and I saw a little black something scurry across the blanket. You guessed it. <laughs> A healthy-looking spider was trying to share her bed. David, chivalrously, punched me in the stomach where the spider had momentarily frozen. (laughs) It doesn't say that, does it? It does. Despite the sucker punch, despite the sucker punch, I was relieved. Uh, The the Levitts hope their labour of love will be detailed in a fly-on-the-wall television series. They said production companies have been seeking to document the painstaking programme of works at the pile. David, who's a former Utah County attorney... No, it goes into the Rossi case. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, But yeah, they're, they're American. So that might explain the 
over the top reaction. Um, but why he's <laughs> punching her in the stomach? So well, may explain that because as well. they're <laughs> you know. because they're from Utah. Is that <laughs> domestic abuse is fine? Is it? I think domestic abuse is okay as long as you can prove that you're trying to kill a spider on your I uh, see. on your on your partner's um, torso. So yeah, how do you feel about um, how do you feel about spiders? I don't mind spiders. Like I, I'm not one of those. You know, I'm, I'm scared of them or anything. Yeah. Um, we've actually got quite a few on our balcony. Um, in the summer, the it becomes because we were on like quite high up, mm-hmm. which quite surprises me on the seventh floor. And we'll get a lot of spider webs on our we have like a railing that goes across. Like my apartment has like it, we've got these huge bay windows that yeah. cover like the whole side, and we'll get a lot of spider webs on there. And they don't bother me, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's quite fascinating. In fact, we used to have on on our actual balcony there was one there was a spider that used to live up. It would pop down. You, you would see its web, <laughs> and it would have flies yeah, stuck yeah. in the web. And genuinely, if it was sitting having a cigarette on the balcony you would see the spider come down eat a fly and then go back up right. and it was yeah it was fascinating <laughs> absolutely fascinating um so yeah no i don't mind spiders at all yeah i mean I, um, how about yourself i am um, when i was younger i was really quite frightened of spiders um but i after becoming a father i had to sort of man up a bit <laughs> well man up a lot so and the thing is i was always raised that you don't kill a spider because it's bad. It's bad luck, right? Thank you. Try explaining that to my wife. If there's a spider in the house, she will kill it. Whereas I ask her to call me because yeah. I will come and rescue it and then put it outside. Yeah, because it's bad luck. Well, that's what I do too. And also, I don't really, yeah. I don't really like killing things anyway. No, but yeah, I did have like when I was a kid, like a little little boy. I had a ru- I had like a rubber toy spider that for some reason I wanted and then became frightened of, and then my mum. <laughs> My mum, for a laugh, um, threw it at me unexpectedly. <laughs> Fucking, after peeling me off the ceiling, we decided that the rubber spider should go away until I got a bit older. Um, <laughs> and then I did have a moment when I was about nine when a fucking massive spider was in bed reading the balloons by torchlight and um, a massive spider ran over my hand. <laughs> Fucking shot me up as well. Um, but yeah, no, like, these days... Uh, I, I mean, the, the spiders here in Dubai aren't very big, um, but sometimes when I'm, if we're back at home, you get the odd big one. And the, the, the girls, my younger daughters, are obviously a bit scared of them, so um chivalrously uh, catch them in the glass with a bit of card and take them out into the garden. So, yeah. So I don't bother. But you're, have you seen how our mutual friend just like picks them up with his bare hands and lets them run yeah. over his hands and stuff? I mean, yeah. that's fucking yeah. That's wrong, isn't it? I don't know. I don't, I don't, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that nowadays. I oh, know I do. If I see a spider, I will try and get it. Otherwise, then I'll yeah. scoop it up with like a bit of a tissue and then yeah, yeah. put it outside. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. I remember as a kid, would always be playing with spiders in the garden, letting them crawl over my hands and stuff. It was fine. No issues at all. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I think I think quite a lot of issues with that, personally speaking. But you know, <laughs> each to their own. Anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, Knock Dairy Castle uh, infested with spiders. I'm sure it's. I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll probably deal with it. Um, just fumigate the place or something. But uh, <laughs> kill all the spiders. You know, <laughs> fucking big bug bomb, and yeah. that'll sort it out. Uh, John Goodman. Uh, speaking of uh, spiders, actually, on the on the streaming uh, service we have here at OSN, I noticed that arachnophobia um, has just been added to it, which um, 
I might see if I can persuade my daughter to watch it, see if she's into it. Anyway, that's um, what's your first news story this week? Uh, okay, Greg, so my first story is probably not the nicest topic, but hopefully it's uh, a little bit funny. But uh, yeah, it's from the Scottish Sun this week. And it is about a funeral firm in Edinburgh offering Scots families a chance to bury their loved ones in bizarre custom-made coffins, including a casket designed like a Greg sausage roll. Bosses at Go As You Please Funerals. What a name for a funeral firm, eh? (laughs) Go As You Please Funerals. In the city's Willowbury, promise uh, punters that no ideas are off-limits when it comes to fulfilling your casket's wishes. And there's quite a few images here of of different coffins that they've designed. Um, Each coffin is built to the needs of each individual customer. And popular designs, I would—I just want to say this, Greg, popular designs <laughs> in Edinburgh include Rangers and Celtic coffins. Of course, yeah. TV shows like Doctor Who, <laughs> I just want to reiterate, Greg, popular designs. <laughs> 90s Saturday's TV show, Noel's House Party <laughs> and Game of Thrones. <laughs> Who's getting fucking buried in a Noel's house party coffin? <laughs> they don't have an image of that one either, which I'm quite disappointed about. Uh, you can even be buried in the bottle with picture coffins designed around alcoholic drinks like Bell's Whiskey, Newcastle Brown Ale and Tenant's Lager. <laughs> General Manager Murdo Chambers, that's a fucking great that's name, Murdo, great name. Murdo Chambers, 49, said people even choose to have the face of their loved ones on the front of the box. Well, He told the Scottish Sun Online, it's quite common for family members members to request an image of their loved one on the coffin. But the most unusual we had to prepare recently was a pink Harry Potter themed coffin. (laughs) The family had their mum photoshopped onto a broomstick playing Quidditch. (laughs) Taste is subjective. (laughs) Our only limits are to make sure it fits a person, the bottom doesn't fall out, and that the computer can design it. (laughs) Um, so the uh, this is a yeah the undertakers say that their wacky coffins spark proper conversation around an often taboo subject of death and dying. Murdo continued, "We encourage personal choice as much as possible. Let's face it, most folk don't go and think about uh, what they could do. Uh, they go to a funeral director. Still, thinking what they're getting told needs to be done. Funerals are for the living." It's a chance to celebrate and remember their loved ones in uh, in the way that they want to be remembered. So uh, Murdo says his most unusual request was a funeral service for a family where the two sons asked if they could build their dad's coffin. He added their dad had taught them the handiwork skills, so we were able to support them to build a coffin as part of the funeral arrangement. It was incredibly poignant, and they even carved the details and his name into the casket. So, um, would you like to be buried in a Noel's house party coffin, <laughs> Greg? I can't believe they've used that as a popular design. So, the images that go uh, with the article, there is a, indeed uh, an image of a Greg sausage roll coffin. There is a, a Rangers FC coffin, which is, is quite apt, really, since they died. Um, <laughs> there is uh, a Tenant's Lager coffin, which is, is beautiful. Yeah. And... Uh, a coffin which is it's just basically a coffin with a photo of a Bell's whiskey bottle on it whereas at least like the tenants it actually looks like a pint of tenants with the like it it looks like a pint glass um the coffin yeah yeah would you have any specific request i mean i think i would quite like the tenants one but i think i quite like it now because i could just sort of keep stuff in it like if i had like (laughs) You know, if I if I was ever in a situation where I had my own little man cave, maybe a little bar in there, I could keep stuff in it. And then, 
you know, when I come to the end of my life, it means I can enjoy it, right? And then when when, yeah. when, when my number's up, coffin's already bought, my wife can just get me chucked in there and the uh, job's a good one. So you? what, you'd maybe have like the, the coffin up on the wall <laughs> and if you open it, then you've got maybe some optics in it. Yeah. So it's like a little mini bar with glasses. So effectively just shelves in the coffin uh-huh. that your wife can then remove yep. once you need to use the coffin for something else. And <laughs> yeah. um yeah, so, there you go. I, yeah, I, I like the idea of that because it's quite a big investment, but it's mm. something you're going to use. Right. Yeah. Um, Practical. I like the tenants. Yeah, I do yeah. like the tenants. I think, I don't know if I was going to, what would I want on the front? I, I would like an all black coffin with just a red stripe going down the side, like the 18 van. Right. So, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe um, maybe you could ask Gary at uh, Dorrit Skateboards, our sponsor, to do a wee design on your coffin. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's lovely. That would be a lovely commission for <laughs> yeah. him. Well, design me a coffin, please, Gary. <laughs> Can I get the Murray Cup logo? On the- <laughs> yeah, but we're two white guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, actually, that'd be a good idea. Um, the Dorrit Skateboards Butley design there on the coffin. That would be good, yeah? There you go. Yeah, that's what I would go. Sorted, with. but yeah, I I think it's nice that people have the choice, and he makes a very good point in that funerals are for the living. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I couldn't give a shit what I get buried in <laughs> because I'll be dead, and I won't be getting buried either. <laughs> I will put my body in a box and burn it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I don't care. So, but it's nice that uh, people have the the option. I mean, it would be quite funny turning up to a funeral <laughs> and seeing this big Greg sausage roll just staring back at you. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I were to attend a funeral and the coffin was brought in for the service and it had a Greg sausage roll on it, I'm not entirely sure I could contain myself. <laughs> you know, and 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 I think like the the grief and sorrow that would be around me in the juxtaposition of that Greg's coffin would just make me even uncontrollably, uncontrollably laugh to myself. <laughs> I want to know what's on the Noel's house party coffin, though. Like, is it Mr. Blobby or is it crinkly bottom? about a crinkly bottom? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or a load of gunge or a gotcha? You know, as soon as uh, Noel Edmonds hears about this, he'll be putting, he'll be putting an order in. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's already blocked the deal or no deal box. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. That's a great idea, actually. <laughs> deal or no deal. Yeah. Oh, never yeah. mind. Saturday swap shop coffin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, so we have covered uh, coffins and spiders. Uh, what else have we got this week, Greg? Well, we've got a bit of a, a bit of a, a swally sort of centric, uh, quite a swally centric story um, today. We had a few stories along these lines. Um, comes from the Daily Record on the 3rd of June. Hero Scott's great granny foiled shop raid by chasing off tooled up thug with a hammer. So this is, uh, oh, <laughs> this is Jean McGill, 70. She dodged attempted blows by uh, Brian Miller as he tried to steal cash from the till in Forbes newsagents in Dundee. <laughs> Jean then grabbed a hammer that she wants you to believe Nicky should been using to bash in nails. I mean, I don't know how... <laughs> I don't I don't know how many times I've walked into a news agent and they've had to stop bashing in nails to serve me. I mean I'm sh- they under no circumstances do they keep a hammer under the counter just in case of such an eventuality. Yeah, so Jean grabbed the hammer she was using to bash in nails and went after the masked thug forcing him to flee the scene. A court heard that Miller 
who was jailed for one year for the attempted raid, met his match when he came face-to-face with a feisty pensioner. Uh, Gene said he swung and tried to hit me more than once, and he came close, but I managed to lean back and get out of the way. He would definitely have hit me. It was horrific and terrifying. That's when I got my hammer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a violent person, but a big part of me wishes I'd scalped him with it. I really do. (laughs) I threw the hammer at him as he tried to get away, but I didn't quite hit him. I'm just... (laughs) I'm just sorry it didn't connect after what he did and what he put us through. Yeah. Gene had only just opened the newsagents in Dundee when Miller entered brandishing the weapon around 10 to 5 in the morning on uh, March the 11th of this year. But the 26-year-old got more than he bargained for when Jean stood up to him as he repeatedly tried to hit her with a hammer and she protected the shop till. After being told to hand over the cash, the 70-year-old pulled out a hammer of her own from under the counter. <laughs> Where was her bendy metal rod? I know, exactly. Her hammer of the gods. um, And lashed out at her attacker. Miller managed to grab £200 from the till before fleeing the scene, followed by Jean, who hurled her hammer at him as he scarpered. Um, Jean said that he came in wearing a mask with his hood up, just as we opened at about half four. I was at the counter when he brandished the hammer, demanding, Give me money. I was completely shocked. I just looked back at him and said, What? He raised the hammer a bitty higher. I love the I love the vernacular. A bitty higher <laughs> and repeated his demand. So I opened the till. There was a hammer I'd been using to bang nails into the wall that I'd thrown under the counter when the customers came in. I'm not in the habit of keeping a hammer under the counter, although I am now. <laughs> Miller was later tracked by the police, uh, traced by the police rather, and at Dundee Sheriff Court was sentenced to one year in prison and a six-month period of supervised release, having pleaded guilty to assaulting Jean at the Cleppington Road store. He admitted repeatedly trying to strike her with a hammer and stealing the money. Um, defending his solicitor, Mike Short, told how his client was totally ashamed of his behaviour and was fortunate that he'd met his match in Jean. Uh, Short told the court, the footage supports the fact that she is one very brave lady. He is fortunate that he came upon a Dundee lady who does not scare easily. It may be that this lady who had to defend herself will not have any long-term problem that other people might do in this situation. So well done, Jean, for uh, sticking up for herself there. Mm. Yeah, I can't believe he only got a year in prison. Like, it says he was trying to repeatedly hit Jean with a hammer. Mm. That's surely that's attempted murder if you're having a go at a 70-odd-year-old woman with a hammer. Yeah, um, yeah that's not the, the best. Good on, Jean. I mm. love stories like this. I know, I remember we had the, the two old grannies that ran, like, an ice cream shop that yeah. chased um, uh, an attempted robber with pool cues. And a chair. A chair. I think, uh, yeah, a pool cue. Like, why have you got that randomly in your shop? Just like Jean. Oh, I was just hammering in some nails to the wall. Really? <laughs> Were you really? <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the hammer's for, is it? A oh, good honour. I'm delighted. And I could just imagine her just fucking flinging it after the guy as he runs away. <laughs> she says she's not a violent person, but she's quite pissed off she didn't smack him with it, isn't she? Yeah, she definitely is, yeah. She <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, uh, good old Jean. I love, I love stories like that of um, people fighting back and, you know, doing the right thing. So, yeah, yeah good honour. Me too. Uh, yeah. So that's old Jean there. Uh, what's, your, what's your next story this week? My next story is also from the, the Scottish Sun uh, this week, Greg, and it is called Angry Bird. It's a it's about a shaken homeowner who has told that he is being terrorised by a crazed crow that is smashing his windows. <laughs> so this is uh, Torvald Alexander, 53, 
he has nicknamed this crow Psycho after <laughs> uh, a wrecking spree that has seen it break seven panes of glass at his 18th century cottage. <laughs> so, um, and he admitted, I, I found its antics funny at first, but now that I'm facing a repair bill of over £800, I don't find it so amusing. Uh, the geologist's ordeal began when the crow started tapping on the window of his home in Bigger, Lanarkshire. Torvald said, I filmed the bird doing that thinking it was quite amusing. But then he smashed the window. <laughs> I was fuming. <laughs> so Torvald boarded up the, the window pane that had smashed. Uh, but when the crow came back the next day, it started pecking at his bathroom window. So he shooed it away. The householder went away for the weekend. And when he returned, he found a scene of mayhem and shattered glass at his two-bedroom pad. He said, I drove up to the cottage on Monday and immediately saw that two of my windows were gone. Then I went round the back and found another four had been smashed. I've boarded them up now, but it's going to cost me 800 quid to fix it. I've not seen the crow since. <laughs> Hopefully he thinks he's finished the job. Yeah, I was going to say, the, I was going to say the, the, crow, the crow's obviously thinks to himself, well, my work is done here. <laughs> Um, pest controller Andy Law of Perth uh, told how uh, the winged menace may have been riled up by his own reflection (laughs) he said crows cause a lot of problems at this time of year by attacking windows of houses and cars this is the start of nesting season and they may think their own reflection is a rival crow invading their territory so they attack them they have very powerful thick blunt beaks which can be used like jackhammers (laughs) (laughs) it is pretty unpleasant um, and that's the end of the article so yeah so this crow has smashed like eight windows at this guy's house I fucking love the fact that it's just I mean it's a shame for it but obviously he's one crow and I, I can just imagine his face as he's filming it thinking oh this is funny I'm going to put this on TikTok and then the crow just smashes the fucking window he's <laughs> <laughs> like you little cunt <laughs> Boards it up, sees it the next day, shoo shoo, goes away for the weekend, comes back, he's got seven smashed windows. (laughs) I mean, who knew that a crow's beak was so powerful, like a jackhammer, that that it could smash through windows? And who knew that that's what crows like to do? Well, yeah, I mean, we've got, we get crows here in Dubai, and at certain times of the year, if you're driving or walking under the trees, I think when they're nesting, they will fucking swoop down. Like, so I've been driving down uh, the back road and, I came, and they, they sort of fly toward the car, I guess, because mm. they've got babies up in their nests and uh, mm. we've been walking around the lake and been squawked at a few times by uh, a territorial crow. So yeah, I don't think I'd like to get, I don't think I'd like to take one on, <laughs> to be honest. No, I mean, I guess the only thing you can really do to protect yourself is get some Cura because that's too <laughs> orangey for crows. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So... That might be the best, uh, the best form of defence against crows. Maybe Torvald should, uh, should think about that. Can you still get Kiora. I've no idea. I bet you can. Probably. Kiora, Probably. Kiora and Umbungo both had the sort of racially questionable <laughs> television yes. adverts, didn't they? Uh, yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. Yes, I, I would say. I, w- I would leave it probably at that. But yeah, uh, Umbungo. <laughs> y- yes. Although Umbungo was all animals. Yeah. Really. They drink it in the jungle, apparently. Um, Umbungo. Yeah. Yeah. They do. They do indeed. But yeah, I think Kiora was maybe a, a little bit racially charged. I think there was another one at that time as well. Was it like Vite Delight or something maybe that... I'm sure there was another advert of that time that had like some sort of... Um, oh yeah, animal. it was for... But, um, yeah, yeah, it was for Vite Delight Marjorie, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Something, uh, yeah, I, it, it had like a, a song. It was like a reggae song. Yeah, the, I think, the kids are all right. It. The kids are all right. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember... Um, 
with Umbungo. I remember quite an aggressive advertising campaign when I was probably I was young enough to be taking a pack lunch to school. I remember I remember hassling my mum. Uh, we were going round like the fine fair or Safeway or something one day to get me um, cartons from Bungo for my pack lunch, and she gave in and bought me them. And I remember like could not wait like the night before. I was like, oh, can I have it? Mum was like, no, they're for your pack lunch. And I was like, all right, okay. And then uh, like the next day like gleefully opening it to try it for the first time and not really liking it. <laughs> it was a bit like, oh, something very nice. <laughs> but like, the the advertising campaign definitely worked on me anyway, but I, I never asked for it to buy it again. <laughs> Did you know, I'm just having a, a look at this. Um, so Umbungo is particularly famous for its long-running jingle of Umbungo, Umbungo, the drink it in the Congo, right. which accompanied animated advertisements. However, Umbungo has never been produced or sold in the Republic of Congo or the Democratic. <laughs> Republic of Congo. Short quarter. <laughs> the song the song was sung by Tony Jackson. The music and lyrics were composed by Andy Blackford. Wait for this. The advert itself was created by Oscar Grillo um, at Clacto Animations. Their earlier 1984 advert for Kiora established a new trend <laughs> and led to them being commissioned to produce the Umbungo spot. So we have this guy to blame for the two <laughs> racist adverts that you said. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> but it, it says nothing here about um, controversy of it being deemed racist. I don't know where that's come from because it's it genuinely is just cartoon characters. The only controversy is that they don't drink it in the Congo. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. However, a mungo has never been produced or sold in either the Republic of Congo or the Democratic Republic <laughs> of Congo. So they don't drink it in the Congo. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Got to, Bastards. Yeah. Got to be woke about where these drinks yeah. are consumed these days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Uh, yeah, so uh, have you seen anything else this week, Greg? Nope. News? That's all the news I've got. Wonderful. Right. Well, before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today, it's normally where I would say, let's have a little word from our sponsors. And we have our sponsor to talk about, Greg. So Doric Skateboards is a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp uh, that aims to encourage people to get on a board, whether they're old, young, good, bad, or in the middle. Doric's main focus is to explore the people and culture of Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland to create designs that reflect life in that area. As I've said before in the podcast, and we had Gary on last episode to, to talk about the brand. Um, I've been a loyal customer of Doric since it started in 2017 and I've got multiple t-shirts and sweatshirts and I said I'd live in my in fact I just wore my Doric for days hoodie yesterday as well. Uh, so Doric skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio uh, by Gary's Fair Hand and they produce some amazing designs including an Annie Lennox inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck, a plenty of pop deck inspired by the old Bonacord trucks that Gary and I spoke about in our interview last episode. Uh, Doric skateboards uh, also replicate these amazing designs onto their clothing on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies and sweatshirts and you can also fill your boots on stickers, pin badges and beanies. So check out Doric Skateboards for yourself on doricskateboards.com and follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see the amazing designs on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to dorkskateboards.com, have a look at the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies and tees uh, that they have on offer and use the promo code SWALLY. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y, all in block capitals, same as the name of this podcast and get your 15% off. Dorkskateboards.com. And he might even do you a coffin. Yes, <laughs> he, he might. If you ask him nicely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, have to, we'll have to ask him about that. Let's see if anyone wants a, a swally designed coffin. Yeah, <laughs> ah, lovely stuff. Uh, okay, well, Greg, 
So it was your choice on the Culture Swally uh, on this episode of what we're going to be talking about. And I have to say, I'm very excited about what we're going to be talking about. So why don't you tell the listeners what you've picked this episode? (laughs) So this episode, uh, the Culture Swally, is a bit of a change of pace to our usual content. This episode, we're taking you back to 1983. And what a time to be alive, Nicky, in 1983. The the seatbelt law came into force. But only for the no. only for the front seats. Children's ITV launched in the UK. No. Nons free, as far as we know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it had previously been called Watch It, which might prove to be ironic in years to come. Mr. Happy off the Mr. Men assured us that Glasgow was miles better, or smiles mm. better, I can never remember. Bill Forsyth showed us that heroes can be found locally. Detective Inspector Jim Taggart tracked down a killer in Killer, the pilot film, which would spawn the long-running Scottish crime drama Taggart. Uh, Specky twins Craig and Charlie Reed formed perhaps Scotland's greatest pre-Capaldi musical export, The Proclaimers, in Ochtermachty, while over in the West Coast, not quite as cheerful brothers Jim and William Reed formed the Jesus and Mary chain in East Kilbride, and sensitive short arse Justin Curry and friends formed Delamitri <laughs> in Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> But much, much, much more important than all of that, far, far away from Scotland, an intrepid band of heroes led by a young prodigy, a grizzled maverick with a cool name, and an aggressive, yet lovable, hairy creature would embark on a campaign to topple a powerful, universe-dominating enemy against all odds and win. So I think the listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Return of the Fucking Jedi. 40 years ago (laughs) this year, Aberdeen FC, the Dons, the Dandies, the Dandy Dons, sometimes the Reds, would achieve the hitherto assumed impossible. They would beat Real Madrid in the final of the European Cup Winners' Cup, the only team to ever beat Real in a final before or since, and if that wasn't enough for the good people of the northeast of Scotland before the year was out, the club would win the Scottish Cup, finish the season top of the league, and bring the European Super Cup, or Super Plaque, back to Pataudry Stadium. <laughs> so today, to mark the momentous achievement of Aberdeen, we'll be discussing the recent BBC documentary about this historical, unmatched event once in a lifetime. So, it was only on a few weeks ago. You had advised me that it was coming up, Nicky, um, mm. on the BBC. I watched it the other day. I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm, I like football. I enjoy the game. I don't really have a team. I was sort of raised default Rangers, sort of grew out of it um, when I was in my early 20s. Uh, so I don't really have a team as such, but I've, I've always, because I've never been for so long, I always enjoy Aberdeen's success. Not that it's not that they're as successful as they were 40 years ago. Um, <laughs> but I like to see the Dons win. Uh, I don't mind saying that got a bit emotional at certain points um, of the documentary when, the, when they were interviewing uh, some key members of that amazing team how did you feel when you sat down to watch this yeah i mean as i'm an aberdeen fan through and through you know that i mean i'm a lifelong aberdeen fan um i can't remember i mean i was born in 1981 so i although i've lived through the the glory years i'm too young to remember it yeah um i i i was there not in Gothenburg, but the you know the celebrations of um, the homecoming, the top bus, yeah. the homecoming. You know, I I knew I was there. I was only two, uh-huh. but I was there. I can't remember it, but I know I was there. Yeah, you know, my first kind of memories of Aberdeen are really 
after Fergie had gone. My first real memory, I think, if I think about Sport in Aberdeen, was the, the 1990 Scottish Cup final. When we, we beat Celtic on, on penalties. And that was kind of one of our last trophies until we won the, the League Cup in 1995. And then after that, nothing until 2014 when we won the, the League Cup again. And I, I flew back from Dubai for that. So I've always been a big Dons fan. I used to go every week when I, I reached a certain age. I I would um, I, I went a few times when I was a kid, but then once I got older and then I, I started going every week, I'd go to Pataudry. So I, I, safe to say I am a massive Aberdeen fan. And I would go to quite a lot of away games as well whenever I could. So watching this documentary, obviously massively emotional for me mm. to see a lot of the players and, you know, as an Aberdeen fan, it's 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 kind of this thing that's always going to hang over the club. That sounds bad in a negative yeah. way, but you know, it, it's the greatest achievement the club's had. And to be fair, it's a fucking hell of an achievement to yeah. have. We're a small team, mm. small club, and we were the the best team in Europe yeah. in 1983. Yeah. You know, we, we fucking beat Real Madrid. It's <laughs> it's incredible. And and some people might think it's strange to celebrate the the 40th anniversary of this. And like, why don't you just wait until fucking next? 10 years time and do a big 50th you got to think that although life expectancy has dramatically improved <laughs> you're probably not going to have a lot of this squad in 10 years time still there so that's why i think they did have a big celebration I, to be fair most of them will be in kind of their mid 70s mm. in 10 years time but you just can't be sure and we've already lost tatty neil yeah. cooper um yeah. so which we will talk about later on definitely um but i presume maybe that's why they did do a big celebration for the 40th because a lot of players won't be able to attend 50th but i absolutely yeah. loved watching this it brought back so many memories just it's so lovely to see aberdeen and those days and just the fucking methods and just you know what it was so nice to see the the way the fondness that people spoke about the club. Because I, I, I will say, I mean, Strachan and Mark McGee were two of the main kind of talking heads. They are not popular with Aberdeen fans anymore. Yeah. However, they'll always be Gothenburg legends. So, we yeah. are, you know, they, they get away with what they've done to the club, which I'll talk about later as well. But they get away with it because they're Gothenburg legends. If they weren't, then they would be fucking exiled and never welcome back. But they, they genuinely, because of what they did, they'll they'll always be heroes um, in the eyes of the fans. Is, is that because McGee was at Rangers for a little while and, um, and uh, Strachan obviously managed Celtic for a few years? Uh, no, McGee's... What fucked McGee up was that he was appointed Aberdeen manager after Calderwood. Oh, yeah. And in his fucking interview, like in his, his debut press conference, he basically said that he applied for the Celtic job, which was available at the same time, and didn't get it. <laughs> so then he took the Aberdeen job, which instantly right. pissed off our fans. Then he proceeded to be absolutely atrocious manager like nearly got us relegated. We lost 9-0 to Celtic. Mm -hmm. And in his post-match interview, he said, ah, it's only three points. <laughs> and that's what, that's why a lot of Aberdeen fans fucking hate him. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, tremendous footballer and will yeah. always be a footballing legend um but sham for man and Strachan, yeah basically because he managed celtic and he he has quite a, a bit of a disregard for aberdeen it's about he's a bit of an acquired taste anyway gordon Strachan. Yeah. i mean i you know he, he was 
I've I've met Gordon Strachan very briefly a couple of times when I lived in Glasgow, um, and and I've seen him be interviewed and other things. I mean, this isn't the first documentary that's been made about about that team, about that those mm. those, those players uh, and their achievements. Um, and he's he's been on other ones as well. Uh, but I thought of all the ones that I've, of all the interviews I've seen him give about Gothenburg and about other things, I thought he came across quite well in this, you know, and maybe with the yeah, yeah. with the with the passing of time. But the 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 person that kind of touched me the most in their fond uh, sort of reminiscing about their time at the club was Alex Ferguson because when you think about everything mm. Ferguson has achieved at Man United and and, and I, I know it's it'll be because it was his first as he, as he explains in the documentary he had been like sort of part time really manager of St Mirren he was managing St Mirren and he was running a couple of pubs in, in the south side yeah. of Glasgow and stuff and at this the, the opportunity at Aberdeen was his first opportunity to kind of be a full time club manager and um, you know just to see him talking and his, his body language and everything when he's talking about his time there and his time at Aberdeen and, and what he achieved with the club with the club, but in particular the victory in Gothenburg. I thought it was fucking great and really heartwarming. You know what I mean? Just to, to hear him talking about it. I remember I remember when I lived in Aberdeen, it must have been about maybe 2000, 2001, uh, they gave Fergie the freedom of the city. It was like a weekday. Mm. I didn't. I had no idea it was happening. I remember we'd be having some. Um, I can't remember who I was with, but we'd be having some uh, afternoon drinks um, on a Wednesday or whatever, as you do when you're at that age, and sort of coming out of the pub. Uh, probably the, the schoolhouse or something on Union Street, a bit pissed and um, wondering what the fuck was going on, and and, get, and getting moved on from a police officer because I was trying to stand. I, w- I sort of went up the steps in the music hall to see if I could see over it, see what was going on. And a <laughs> police officer, a WPC, asked me to move on. Um, but yeah, I loved I loved hearing Fergie talk. I mean, I, I love hearing Fergie talk about his career anyway. I think he's. Yeah. You know, just in general. Yeah, I enjoyed the documentary that his son made about him a couple of years ago after he had his um did he have a stroke or something like that, didn't he? Or something like that. Um uh, yeah. So Yeah. And um yeah, just his his fondness for Aberdeen and then, you know, when you see <laughs> hear the when you hear the players talking about what he was like to play for back then and it was just like you know you just were doing everything you could to, to uh, please the gaffer you you mentioned at the top of the podcast um about wearing a balaclava over a perm but of course famously that's what happened. he told all the players not to get perms neil, yeah. Co- neil cooper goes and gets a perm and has to wear a balaclava during training and send an injured players into the north sea <laughs> you know in the fucking winter I mean... <laughs> I wish, um, it's a shame, I mean, I, I will speak about Cooper later on, yeah. but I wish he'd been able to to contribute. I've I've met Cooper, I've met Cooper many times, yeah. um, and, and as I said, we'll talk about him later, he he was just a legend, and he, he always had a story. Yeah. And I've been at a couple of evenings where he's spoken, um, like, telling tales about Fergie, and he's just got some of the great, so the Balaclava one is one of the stories <laughs> he told. Um, the other one was when he just broke into the first team, he, he wanted, uh, every day he walked past this motorbike dealership, mm. and he wanted this motorbike, and then one day he just went in and he fucking bought it. And he said, I turned up to training the next day. Like, I was so delighted with this motorbike. And I go into changing rooms and getting changed. Fergie just comes storming in. Whose motorbike's that? <laughs> and Cooper goes, that's mine, boss. Do you like it? Get it sold. And walks out. <laughs> it's like, okay, I sold it the next day. Because like, Fergie said, no. Yeah. 
But I think the I, I love the fact he speaks so fondly yeah, about yeah. Aberdeen, and it's because he's you know it was the club that built him effectively. Yeah, you know when when he um when he went to and and he was treated so well at Aberdeen as well. When he got offered the Manchester United job, the um the contract offer that they offered Fergie was less money than Archie Knox was on at Aberdeen. Wow. That's how well Aberdeen were paying him. Um, and Manchester United had to break their wage structure to offer Fergie what he wanted yeah. to take the management job. So, you know, those days, Aberdeen were looking after their, their managers very well. I think what sums up Fergie for me is, is that... He's harsh, but he's fair. He knows how to treat players, and that's why he got the best out of them. And at Aberdeen, he built a siege mentality, us against them. And it was us against Rangers and Celtic, and the media as well. And yeah. he really viewed that as a, a sticking point because he he played for Rangers, of course, famously, but yeah. he, he never forgave them because he married a Catholic. That's and right, he yeah. was kind of ostracized. And that's that always kind of stuck in his craw a little bit. And that's why he fucking loved getting it up on him. Well, he grew, he, he grew up in the sort of shadow of Ibrox. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, he, yeah. he, he, he talks in that other documentary that his son made about how Rangers, when he was a boy, were, you know, they were like his, his Elvis, his Beatles, yeah. his, you know, they were, you know, so they, you can imagine the, when you've, when you've had this dream from being so young to finally realising that dream and getting on like the team and getting on the first team, and then it's not, they're not who you thought they were. You know what I mean, and mm. you're you're not accepted for who you are, and then of course his you know the love of his life, his wife isn't accepted because of his uh, her rather her not her religion. Mm. You can imagine you know you can imagine what you know. I mean, he's taken that and turned it into this like fucking uncompromising uh, desire to be the absolute best, and yeah, you know, and and what you know what he talks about yeah in the documentary here he says when he when he got there there wasn't like there wasn't like millions of pounds to buy players so he had to focus on the on the youth team which is a mm. which is essentially what he would go on and do at Man United to a great to a, yeah. to, a, to a, a sort of greater extent as well you know. The, the, what he did with guys like Eric Black and Cooper, John Hewitt and stuff, he would go on and do with like people like Ryan Giggs, David Beckham, and Neville Brothers, Paul Scholes and stuff. Twenty twenty years later, or well, no, sort of ten years later, I suppose, wouldn't it be, be the sort of early nineties? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was the, the class of ninety two. Yeah, um, yeah, they were known as so. Yeah, but probably yeah, just just over ten years later. Yeah, but I think he the beauty with Ferguson is yeah he did have uh you know he knew how to mold his young players but he knew how to get the best out of talent and mm. he knew how to how to treat individuals one of my favorite stories of Fergie is the when he was at Manchester United and Lee Sharp tells this story on a, a podcast I was listening to and it was Manchester United against Crystal Palace Eric Cantona got sent off and Kung Fu kicks a fan right in the crowd because <laughs> he says go home to France you French bastard Eric just snaps fucking we all remember the Kung yeah, Fu yeah, kick, yeah. leaps into the crowd and banned for football for life. Like, later got demoted to, I think, nine months. Yeah. <laughs> and the game ended in a 1-1 draw. And Lee Sharp says, Fergie came into the dressing room and he just fucking tearing strips off of everyone. You know, Bruce, you were fucking useless out there. You useless fucking cunt. You can't defend. <laughs> Sharp, what the fuck were you doing out there? You're a fucking useless prick. You're like, yeah. absolutely, like, throwing stuff. Then he comes to Cantona and he goes, Eric, you cannot go doing things like that, son. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he just he managed players because he knew obviously Cantona a very volatile individual. So yeah. that's you know that's what you treat him. I think it, it summed up when McLeish 
um, I think it's McLeish and Strachan that, that kind of finish each other's sentences in this documentary yeah. near the start when he says, you know, the ingredients were there. Yeah. We just needed the glue to put it all together. Yeah. And it was Fergie. Yeah, yeah. And he really did just just glued that team together. And, and McLeish says, you know, they, they changed the mood of the, you know, the dressing room and it was about determination. And he had to get the, the trust of the established players first. And Miller and McLeish just... Mm. What a team, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they were just incredible, those two. It was said back in the day that players rarely got past Miller and McLeish. And if they did, then they had Jim Layton to get past. Yeah. And, you know, it's a formidable team. And, and Fergie really built that hunger. And that was something that was also said in the documentary that I, I didn't agree with. And I'm glad Willie Miller came out at the premiere and said it was a load of rubbish. Um, In the interview, Mark, in, in the documentary, Mark McGee says that a lot of us had chips on our shoulder that Celtic and Rangers hadn't come for us. And yeah. that's why we wanted to do it. And Willie Miller has said that that's a load of shite. He turned down Rangers and Celtic multiple times. Really? Like when, when he was a kid, because Willie Miller's from Glasgow. Yeah. And he's, Rangers uh, came in for him a couple of times, but he, he wanted to go to Aberdeen because mm. he'd heard that this youth setup in Aberdeen was so good. Yeah. Um, and during his time at the club, like Celtic and Rangers both came in for him and not turned them down mm. because he just loved being at Aberdeen. So he did make a very good point of, of stating that that was crap because... Uh, again, that's why the Don's <laughs> fans aren't a big fan of Mark McGee. Um, he's got a chip on his shoulder. Because, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, clearly. Well, anyway. I mean, Strachan even says um, that, you know, he, he, he said in the documentary that if it, if it wasn't for Fergie, he might, Strachan, that is, might not have gone on to have mm. the career as a footballer that he had. Well, or the, yeah. not even the career as a footballer, the career in football that he had, because obviously he went on to be to become manager later on as well. But, you know, they going back to what you mentioned about Fergie concentrating on the on the youth team, you know, the extracting, obviously is a great example of that. Um, but I mean, what, what surprised me, and I don't know, I don't know why. Maybe I just never really thought about it. But Willie Miller had been at Aberdeen for eleven, eleven or twelve years before, uh, you know, they had they went on this massive uh, run of kind of bringing mm. trophies back. You know, he, he signed for the club in nineteen seventy one, and and the thing, mm. I think he's only like twenty seven or twenty eight when they in yeah. Gothenburg. They obviously because he's Willie Miller and because of the styles of the time, he looks like he's about fucking forty five. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they could, obviously Fergie's saying in the doc that you know he he wasn't that much older really than some of the older players no. on the team. He was he was only in his kind of mid thirties, and he has to you know he's got to come in and get these guys behind them and get a job out of them. I think and and uh, we both met Willie Miller a mm. few times, yeah, and he's he's not referred to as Willie Miller in Aberdeen. He's referred to as God because <laughs> he he can do what the fuck he wants. There's a, a statue of Alex Ferguson outside Pataudry nowadays, yeah. and I don't know why. He's obviously a great man, but you ask pretty much most Aberdeen fans, I'd rather have a statue of Willie Miller in Aberdeen <laughs> in the famous pose, holding the trophy aloft yeah. with one arm. He, I mean, he he managed the club for a, a couple of seasons. Didn't do great, but you know, no. we played some good football, but he unf mm -hmm. unfairly, I think, got sacked. And, you know, he still came back to the club and he was a director of football for a while. And, you know, he always speaks so fondly of, of Aberdeen and his time at Aberdeen. And, um, you know, I wish him all the best because everyone just loves Willie Miller. He yeah. he is Aberdeen, if if you know what I mean. Like yeah, he yeah. just encapsulates that era. And I know he can be a bit of a dick at times when you beat him. <laughs> like, but, he, but he just wears that on his sleeve. Like, if you say hello to Willie, you'll, you'll say hello. You'll either get a, 
you'll, you'll get a hello back, yeah. but that'll be it. Um, don't expect anything else yeah. unless he knows you and then he'll speak to you. But <laughs> if he doesn't know you, then you just get a thanks. Because, I mean, to be fair, he must get it every fucking day oh, like no in Aberdeen because yeah. he's so recognisable. Um, he, you know, he, so he used to come into um, when I worked at Frankie and Benny's as a bartender um, back in the sort of late nineties. Him and Stuart Milne used to come in most uh, Saturday afternoons, but ju- just for a drink at the bar. You know, I guess mm. they would ju- I guess they probably would come straight from the club. It was back in the days when Stuart Milne wore that ridiculous wig. He fucking looks so much better now that he's just sort of ex- yeah. a- accepted it. And uh, but yeah, they used to come in every, and he was always, you know, he was, you know, he was the sort of person who never sat at the bar. He'd always stand at the bar. Do you know what I mean? Ah, uh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So I like that. Stuart Milne would be sitting, Willie would be standing, and they would be just shooting the breeze and having a drink. And uh, to be fair, you know, he was always very gracious, especially if uh, if anybody brought their kids over to, you know, because mm. it, it was a family restaurant. Uh, you know, and I think he was mad when he still is, but I think he was married to one of the Cadonas, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, still is. Yeah. So they but if anyone brought their kids over to say hello to him, he would always like chat to the kids and you know, he would we would maybe give them something to sign, like like a page from a waiter's pad or something to sign for the kids and things mm. like that. If they didn't have anything for him to sign. So always and he was always you know, I always sort of judge people about by how courteous they are to the to the staff and he was always yeah. very courteous and very friendly. But he used yeah, he used to have a bar on King Street. Didn't he? What was the name of the pub that he had in King Street? Um, you know what I mean. So it's down a bit. It's down towards sort of Uckert Road, maybe that kind of way. But on the other side, uh, I don't remember now. To be honest, yeah, I can't remember either. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I don't know if it's still there. Not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, famously, he had Harry Ramsden's. Oh yeah. Um, because I Aberdeen, he interviewed so. he interviewed me. Well, he didn't interview me. He was in the room where I was being interviewed for a job, <laughs> Harry Ramsden's, which was very which was very discombobulating, I have to say. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he he can do no ill in Aberdeen. He's he's God as mm-hmm. far as we're concerned, and I wish there was a statue of him. And I think one day there will. Be, I think there hopefully. will be one day. Yeah. Um, there has to be. But I I love the fact that he speaks so fondly. And part of the interview, this program that kind of broke my heart was when he was speaking about Neil Cooper. Yeah, and, yeah. and he had to he had to get up and walk away and i love the fact that just you could tell how much there was a team spirit there and how much they loved yeah yeah. cooper yeah and um so say we'll we'll talk about him a bit later because i've got a few good stories about him um but you're right i mean fergie coming into this team it was the catalyst and it was very much the right let's as they say in the program it was dominated by the old firm Mm -hmm. and you can tell there was the, the rivalry there, as, as they say, when they were playing against, you know, Rain Celtic, the players, you know, you's never win in Glasgow. And that was just the kickstart of, right, fuck you. It, it And that's what Fergie built up. It yeah. was like this us against them, this siege mentality. And I thought it was brilliant. And, and as he said, I, I think Strachan that says in the, the documentary, like, it was Fergie you were letting down mm-hmm. if you lost. And he made you feel that. Like, I, I guess he was fucking gaslighting his players in a way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, kind of the, the way he was doing it. And as I say, some of his methods wouldn't get past the Geneva Convention. And <laughs> with this beautiful clip of him fucking shouting at Doug Rugby, who's that, you know, Doug Rugby, like a colossal man. And Fergie's going fucking mental at him. And Doug Rugby looks like he just wants the ground to swallow him up at that moment because yeah. he's so upset that he's let Fergie down. Just a, a what a man. Yes, like just ah, oh. but I'd love to, you know his methods wouldn't get past the Geneva Convention, and as you see the you know them training on the beach, and that's what I remember, and that's what people say even to this day when Aberdeen are playing shit. 
someone will come out with, you should get them fucking training on the beach again. Because that was the way to do it. You know, can you imagine nowadays dodging all the dog shit and fucking hypodermic needles? But it's, that was the, the way, but I guess it does build your, mm. if you can train on the beach, then you can do anything. You never want to be injured in Aberdeen because if you went on Monday, if you had anything wrong with you, North Sea, that was your treatment. Even polar bears when they gone down there at that time, it was that cold. Freezing. Yeah, I suppose they've got ice bath nowadays as well. That was our version. Don't forget, we had to walk back to Petaudry as well. And if you weren't out with a sore knee in the next game, you definitely were out with a bad cold. Well, if you can train on Aberdeen Beach in the winter, <laughs> you know what I mean? Fuck. And with a pair of shorts on. And, has it been, and to be honest, that's the thing that I love about this team because everybody, not everybody, but most of them, the likes of John Hewitt, Eric Black, Neil Cooper, they didn't come from Glasgow or Edinburgh, you know what I mean? Or England. They were all from the, mm. nor- the northeast of Scotland. You know, and even, mm. and even when, because they did have a wee clip of Neil Cooper in the documentary, because there, yeah. there was another documentary I watched called That, that Was the Team That Was, um, mm. which came out, I think it was maybe, maybe came out about 10 or 15 years ago. And they used a wee bit of his sort of talking head for mm. this documentary that we're talking about. And they, they've still got their accent. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they, I think it was um, Eric Black when he was talking about sharing a room with Neil Cooper and how, you know, they just like these young boys, 19 years old, you know, were playing like Hamburg the next day or or, or mm. maybe it was the day before the final, actually. They were playing Real Madrid the next day. It was like 19-year-old boys from northeast of Scotland. But they, they're, still yeah. got, they're still got that accent that is very particular to that part of the world. Mm. You know, so like it wasn't like... It wasn't like this was a club that Fergie had spent millions and millions of pounds getting like the cream of mm. the Liga and the cream of like Spanish football and talent and Brazilian talent and English talent and French talent. They were all just like these young guys from yeah. the northeast of Scotland, you know? Yeah. Um, was, I think that's the beautiful thing, you know, yeah. that all the all the team were Scottish. And okay, that's not unusual really not back for, in nineteen eighty three. Yeah, not really um, at all, really. But it's yeah, it's beautiful the fact that they were all, as you say, so young as well. Yeah. Like, said Miller was the the oldest in the team at twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was only really after the uh, the Heysel disaster when English teams got banned from playing in Europe that mm. all the English talents, all the, a lot of good English players started coming to Scotland because they wanted to play mm. in Europe and Scottish teams, if they qualified, could still play. And that's when we get the kind of Mark Hatleys and the uh, mm. the Teddy Butchers and those types of characters. But back then in the early eighties, right to your point, they. Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, predominantly, if not exclusively, Scottish players. Yeah. And guess what? We qualified for every World Cup back in those days, pretty much. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> you know? That is very true, yeah. Um, if you thought Fergie's methods were bad, uh, what about the stories of Archie Knox hitting <laughs> players with a baseball bat? <laughs> like, how would you get away with that nowadays? Like, And the thing is, you fucking believe it because... I mean, Archie Knox, that's what people always used to say. Like, Fergie was bad, but Knox was fucking 10 times worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as he says, when he comes in, he's like, do you want me to be good cop? He's like, no, we're bad cop and bad cop. <laughs> yeah. It's like... That's... And I, you fucking believe it. When you see that clip, I mean, we'll come to it later on in terms of best use of swearing. There's no volume, but you can tell exactly what Knox <laughs> yeah. is saying to the camera. <laughs> Wonderful. I think, um, I think the thing is, I think, I think I think if your name is Archie Knox, you have to be a hard cunt, right? You have to yeah. be. Yeah, you're obliged to be a fucking hard bastard if your name's Archie Knox. <laughs> <laughs> 
could you imagine as the the stories tell this play? You know, uh, the the story of um, stripping him naked and throwing snowballs at him. You can tell he's still fucking raging about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's laughing away, but yeah. uh, you could tell. I bet they got a fucking battering with that baseball bat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the, the ridiculousness of the way Strachan's telling it. Like Archie used to come in with this baseball bat, <laughs> fucking smack you with it. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, like, there's obviously you know, like the last couple of years, the hugely successful Apple TV uh, comedy drama, dramedy uh, Ted Lasso. Um, mm. You know, if there's like an opposite <laughs> to the methods. <laughs> Employed by Ted and Coach Beard, it is the methods employed by Ferguson and Archie Knox to whip these guys into shape, you know. And but like you know, it fucking you you can maybe argue with their methods, but you can't deny them. You know what well, I mean? They fucking work, didn't exactly. they? Exactly. You no, know, they certainly work. Um, so Fergie did bring us some glory to to Aberdeen. He won us the league, and then the next season was great, but we won the cup. And that effectively led to what this is all centred around, the 1983 Cup Winners' Cup. Hmm. And I know they speak about the 82 season where we lost to Hamburg in the UEFA Cup. Yeah. And you can tell that still pisses fair off, <laughs> yeah. that loss. Like, it's over 41 years, <laughs> but you can tell it still fucking annoys him that, that they lost. He's, he's like, we shouldn't have lost that game. You, shouldn't have lost it. You kind of get the you kind of get the feeling that every game that Fergie has lost as a player or a manager still fucking annoys him when he thinks back on it, you know? Some of the games he's won still annoy him, as we'll come to the cup final uh, after the, yeah, yeah. Um, the Scottish <laughs> Cup final. It's That goes down as legend. It's Fergie fucking raging about that <laughs> yeah. fucking won one now we just won the cup and he's fucking raging it's so good um <laughs> i think so the catalyst and it, it's quite a beautiful um people like to say this they, that cup run that won us the scottish cup in 82 um john hewitt scored i think it was i don't know if it still is but it was the fastest goal in scottish cup history mm. in the the first round against motherwell and then it, it's kind of like people think it's like a nice bookend because that was the starting off the the scottish cup run which then got us into the cup winners cup and then he scores the the winning goal in the final so it's almost like a beautiful bookend if he started the campaign and he finished it mm-hmm. you know with a goal in terms of john Hewitt. um so the cup final against rangers you know it, it's beautiful in terms of one nil down you're like oh fuck's sake and end up winning 4-1 with you know, <laughs> mcleish mcgee Strachan, and cooper scoring like that would never fucking happen nowadays like and it's just beautiful they're kind of watching this thinking oh i wonder what's gonna happen oh 4-1 but, great but what a time to be a mature football fan you know what i mean because i can remember, hmm. I remember little bits of back in these days but i was like five years old so like when i say i remember i remember having like the stickers for the Panini book, you know, I remember mm. little moments of certain games that my granddad would be watching or whatever. But imagine being like a mature, sort of twenty-something-year-old fan, plenty of money in your pocket, following your team around the country, and it's you know, and being—it's always a bit harder to be a fan of teams like Aberdeen than it is to be fans of teams like Celtic or Rangers because. You know, like you don't. They've those other two clubs have been fairly consistent off and on for years. Whereas 
the, the, you know, clubs like Aberdeen, you have your purple patches and then you have your downturns and stuff mm. like that. But to be able to go to the games and get in the bus, get in the old bone shaker bust into the pub with a few <laughs> a few warm cans of turn special and you know what I mean? And just having a day out and, and, and then witnessing a fucking comeback like that. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Just, yeah. I just can't even imagine yeah. something like that nowadays. Yeah. Of being able to witness that. It's just it must be just beautiful. Phenomenal yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, it did pretty well in terms of the, the first few rounds. It beat Sion in Switzerland, uh, 11-1 on aggregate. Um, <laughs> it beat uh, Dynamo Tiara uh, from Albania, 1-0 the first leg, 2-0 the second leg. That's that's a really interesting part as well when you forget, you know, that these guys have gone to a communist country. Like, yeah. they've never seen anything like it. And then whilst they're there, there's talk of this coup um, that's been reported back home and everyone's worried about what's happening. But what was it? They said, like, it turns out it was just two guys in a boat or something. Yeah, saying, yeah. Like, we'll come to claim the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet they were fucking shot straight away in Albania. Yeah. Just largely ignored by everybody. You know? <laughs> um, uh, then they go to Poland, uh, beat Lech Poznan 2-0, uh, 3-0 aggregate. And then the greatest game, I think most people say, ever at Pataudry. It's against Bayern Munich, yeah. quarterfinal. So 0-0 at, in Munich, Fergie region. Fucking drew 0-0. Yeah. Like, what a goal. I love the, the Bayern manager saying, um, there's no way that this team can beat us. And then uh, the Bayern team knew they were in trouble when they saw that none of the Aberdeen team had any teeth. <laughs> but that was, but that was a sign of a fucking great football player back in those days. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> fucking Joe, get guys like Joe Jordan and Jim Layton and stuff. They fucking three teeth in their head. You know, <laughs> I. Th- if I have one one criticism about this documentary, they don't pay enough attention to this free kick that they scored against Bayern. And because it's we're two one down, and it's genuinely one of the greatest Aberdeen free kicks we've ever seen. It's um Strachan and John McMaster are running over the ball and they both run at it and they run past it. <laughs> and the Bayern team are confused and then like, oh, they fucked it up. So the Bayern players immediately relax. And as Strachan and McMaster are walking back, Strachan just turns around and pings it in. <laughs> and McLeish heads it in. And the Bayern players are, are so confused and fucking raging. That's why we scored the next goal to go 3-2 up. Because they're still fucking arguing with the ref. We've just kicked off. like, And then Hewitt scores. That's what they, um, they say in the documentary. The cameras hardly picked up the, the winning goal because yeah. they were still focusing on... The, what the fuck just happened here? Like, that's is that allowed? It's a bit of genius. But yeah. they say... Um, I did watch a clip with John McMaster and he says we tried it a few times in Scotland and it worked once but then other teams got wise to it yeah so we didn't do it again but then we were like fuck it let's give it a try and see if this works (laughs) (laughs) it fucking did (laughs) and it's just a bit of genius now in in speaking about the win Mm. Willie Miller comes out with this line that I've never heard before and I wanted to ask if you ever heard this he goes "Uh, celebrations it's straw hats and trumpets (laughs) and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) fucking what does that mean? It's straw hats and trumpets. <laughs> Never heard that before. Uh, I don't think that. I was like, maybe it's oh, maybe it's over the time or something. But uh, yeah, I'd never heard that in my life. <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I was 
you know, I was watching the footage of that game at Pataudry. So it's, you know, it's probably a weekday. Well, it will be a weekday because it's European football and it's the evening. Mm. Fans yeah. fans queued overnight to get these tickets, uh, yeah. you know. Um, what a night. What a, I mean, there can't have been many nights or days like that at Pataudry in all the club's history. Mm. To beat a team like Bayern, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And your own, I, I, and your I own doorstep. That's widely kind of regarded as the the greatest night um, mm. at Pataudry to beat Bayern Munich. Um, the only other game that is kind of held up there in the same is when we beat Copenhagen four um, one. That would have been about two thousand and nine, I think maybe. Yeah. Um, two thousand eight, uh, mm-hmm. two thousand nine. Um, because just because of the performance and Copenhagen were a fucking good team at that time as well, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beating Bayern um, at Pataudry is is probably the the greatest match. Pataudry, you know, three two, and what a game as well. And just to the sheer level of performance, it's really, uh, yeah, Sorry. that'll always go down as as the one. Um, and that kind of even overshadows the the semi final against Watershed. We win five one at home, but the <laughs> fact that we beat Bayern is you know is yeah. is the one that's there. And then you know, lose one nil there, but that is the catalyst that starts the the final that we're going to have against Real Madrid, which is why we're all here. And I love seeing the the images of the people on the ferry. And mm. it's a beautiful moment with the interviewer. When Because uh, uh, what are you going to do after the match? Get drunk. <laughs> yeah. And what if you lose? Still get drunk. Just encapsulates the time. And uh, the plane load after plane load of people going over and, and the ferry and all the booze that they had there. And yeah. oh, what, a, what an occasion. Like, uh, absolutely amazing. Within a couple of hours of leaving Aberdeen, some of the fans had already given up finding their sea legs. Three 20-foot containers packed with beer were stowed below decks. Not bad among 500 fans. 24 extra flights started the almost non-stop air ferry at the crack of dawn. Plane load after plane load were pushed out onto the tarmac. What are you going to do after the match? Get drunk. (laughs) Celebrate. What happens if we lose? Still get drunk. <laughs> you know that some of those guys, especially after the win, probably just missing in action for fucking days and days. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Without a doubt, definitely. Yeah. There'd be quite a lot of casualties, I think, in terms of the uh, yeah people. I mean, there was, unfortunately, there was one person died. Oh. Um, and it was, it was at the match um, when Eric Black scores to go 1-0. Um, it, it's very unfortunate. There was a young lad. Um, I can't remember. He was only he was only like 23, 22. Right. right. Um, and he had a, a cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, no. Um, Black something go. And Fergie made a point of when they got back, he went to go and visit his his mum and dad and yeah. sister and, and speak to them um, and give condolences. So, yeah, yeah that was a, a sad loss, a sad moment of the, the game, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, you know, that... That ferry over, I think it's stuff of legends in terms of the what went on in yeah. that ferry, and you see them you know, swinging away. Fucking <laughs> what a party! Like on the way there, on the way back, it must have been ten times better. It would have been fucking mental straw hats and trumpets. <laughs> well, I remember, um, you know, um, I know it's a book that you've read a lot of times, as I have. Um, that Jay Allen's book about being mm. a casual, but yeah, bloody casuals. Yeah, he's bloody casuals, but but he's actually his his chapter about Gothenburg has got nothing to do with being a casual and everything to do with being an Aberdeen fan and he's got yeah. stories about being on the boat and does he not end up getting his getting his end away with like some Dutch girl or something like that or on the ferry I think so yeah just being hammered and feeling sick and stuff uh, but yeah it'd be, it'd be amazing to go uh, to be, mm. be able to go there um, and, and probably the experience 
experience even more than the game is traveling there with your friends and fellow supporters yeah. you know I mean, it's, it's oh yeah, it's like the only sort of virtue about being a Scotland fan. <laughs> it's it's travelling <laughs> to games uh, with friends and fellow supporters because like the football yeah. is probably going to let you down, no doubt. You know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, wonderful the the trip over, and then I guess the game. I mean, it stuff of legends, mm. and I think it's a shame that I, I wonder if people from Aberdeen get annoyed that hark on about it. I saw a post on social media. In fact, I'll just fucking name him. It was our mutual friend. Oh. And <laughs> it was around about the anniversary date. And it, it showed me that he was obviously fed up of hearing about this because he lives in Aberdeen, but he doesn't yeah. support Aberdeen. No. But even then, he obviously wasn't paying attention because he couldn't get the facts right. Because I think he put on social media, oh, did Aberdeen beat Gothenburg recently or something? Like, well, <laughs> whenever I played Gothenburg, it was in Gothenburg. If it was Real Madrid would beat. That shows you're not paying attention to to you know <laughs> facts here but i wonder if it does annoy people that it gets mentioned because not to me this is fucking heritage and you know as the real madrid manager said he conceded the better team won yeah. And he said, Aberdeen have what money can't buy, a soul and a team spirit built in a family tradition. Mm -hmm. And this ragtag bunch of lads from, <laughs> you know, the northeast in Glasgow turn up and fucking spank Real Madrid. I mean, spank, okay, we beat them 2-1, but, you know, give them a good go and, and mm. we were the better team yeah. by all accounts. And as, as they say, you know... The game probably shouldn't have gone ahead because the pitch was so waterlogged. But yeah. that probably worked into our style. And <laughs> Especially being training on the beach in Aberdeen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> winter. Yeah. And, you know, fucking fantastic. Eric Black scores 1-0. And then, you know, Madrid get a penalty. Leighton would have been sent off for that nowadays because he yeah. fucking wipes out the it player. Does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fucking wipes him out. Like, lucky to still be on the pitch. Um, and then, yeah, hold him 1-1 full time extra time comes and you can I can stick your um, they think it's all over up your arse because for me the greatest line in commentary is Jock Brown you know Hewitt's waiting in the middle yes and it's a magnificent goal for Aberdeen <laughs> just beautiful so here's beautiful some, here's something that I don't really understand right and I, I don't know if it's just because there were so many good players available at the time or what but if you look at like Hewitt Cooper and Black's uh, international appearances Little to zero appearances for Scotland. Mm. You know what I mean? Like obviously McLeish, uh, Leighton, and Strachan from that side, famously, and Willie Miller, like famously, were big mm. parts of the Scotland team. Yeah, I remember having them in my Mexico '86 Panini book. You know, but like in terms of like goal scorers, why would you not have fucking Black and Hewitt on the Scotland and Cooper for that matter? You know, good Kenny Dalglish. Like, Douglas was getting on, time. getting Doug on Leash, by then. McCoist, Douglas, McCoist, Judy. Um, yeah. You know, I, I agree, and I wonder if that's maybe part of the part of something that we we still suffer from to this day in terms of we do feel a little bit hard done by yeah. as Aberdeen fans, and we do think it's it's all about Rangers and Celtic. It's all about the West Coast um, media and stuff, and I wonder if we still suffer from this mentality Fergie instilled in the club. Maybe. Because a lot of those journalists are still around, and they have a lot of power in basically selecting yeah. you know, who plays and who doesn't in terms of the national team. So I wonder if there is a, an issue with that, um, and it was a kind of fuck you. And I mean, the SFA were annoyed as well, because we, we upset the status quo. It, mm -hmm. It's only Rangers and Celtic that are allowed to win things. So, yeah, who's this stupid club from the northeast winning things? So, well, even I like wonder if there was maybe a few feathers ruffled. Well, McLeish says, doesn't he, in the doc after they won the league 
for the first time um, with Fergie and he said that he was he bumped into Danny McGrain who mm. said you know congratulations you're going to find it a lot fucking harder next year he says mm. and he says and I thought oh, alright then you know and then he says but then it was obviously they had both those clubs had clearly underestimated Aberdeen in that season and paid for it you know and here they come again the next year a, a lot of the same players some new young guys in the team and stuff and um mm. and yeah it was they didn't find it as it wasn't as it wasn't as uh it was a tougher season for them um but yeah, you know, they just with the but with the domestic form and evidently the international form that they, those three players, if we just talk about Cooper, Black, and Hewitt had at the time, you would think they would at the very least they'd be in the fucking bench for Scotland mm. because Dalglish was, you know, he was coming toward the end of his career. Like two years after Mexico '86, he was managing Liverpool. You know what I mean? Mm. Dalglish, you know, I guess Strachan. But then, you know, again, like, you'd have Strachan, but you wouldn't have someone like Hewitt. You know, don't know or like yeah, or I don't Black. know. Oh, it's weird. But again, I'm not sure it's right. from the West Coast, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, so is Eric Black from Bells Hill. Oh, right enough. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just you at the Aberdonian that was left out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the player that I've that I you know I I don't I don't I don't feel sorry for um, because obviously he had a fucking amazing career. But the way his career finished is always is always going to be Jim Layton, you know, because I remember mm. that cup final, which was his. You know, he knew it'd be his last appearance at Hamden, yeah. and he was talking yeah. before the game about how much he just loved to play at Hamden regardless who he was playing for and uh, you know the feeling when you walk out onto the pitch and it's a full house and everything and then he fucking he fucking knocked himself out in the first sort of 10-15 minutes of the game And no he didn't knock himself out Rod Wallace fucking blutered him in the face and broke oh, his jaw oh that's right yeah yeah I was there right behind the goal <laughs> and when that happened and yeah. yeah there was no fucking it was intentional he fucking smacked him in the face right? because we didn't have a goalkeeper on the bend. Right. So that's why we had to put Robbie Winters in goal. Was it Robbie Winters? Was it right? Okay. Yeah. Robbie Winters went in goal. Lost 4-0, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not, Once Leighton got that's... stretched off and Winters went in goal, we just started doing the conga round Hamden because <laughs> we were... We knew we were fucked, so it was like, fuck it. I mean, but that's not bad to only let four in when you're not a keeper at a cup I know. And you're only like, and you're only five foot eight. Yeah, it's pretty fucking good, actually. Yeah, you know. Not not ideal for a cup final, but if it was like a league game, (laughs) early in the league, you might be quite pleased with that, you know. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's it's, a... yeah, the team spirit that um, that Fergie and, and, and had instilled in everyone, and you see that. And as I say, when they're when they're talking about Neil Cooper, who mm. unfortunately passed away um, a few years ago, yeah, you can tell how upset they are. And it's it's true. I I would say you know obviously as we've spoken about Miller. You know, he'll say hello to you. I've met John Hewitt a couple of times. I've been to football with John Hewitt, actually. He was in his um, his box one day. Wow. Um, uh, did, like, corporate hospitality with him. And, mm-hmm. you know, lovely guy. He'll speak away to you. Mm-hmm. Neil Cooper, I met a few times out. And Hewitt will, you know, Miller will say thank you graciously and turn around. Uh-huh. Hewitt will speak to you for five minutes. Yeah. Cooper would have asked you where the party is and bought you a pint. And- <laughs> told you a story about something like he would have just spoken to you all night he yeah. was such a fucking character and it, it says a lot you know that how much the, the players miss him and it was beautiful the celebrations they had there was a an empty chair left for him mm-hmm. with the the number four jersey over it and he was just such a character 
it, it tells this beautiful story and he, he told it when i saw him at this kind of after dinner speech but he's he's told it i think on in interviews before and it's um fergie came up to him on the monday we were playing celtic on the saturday and and fergie comes up to him and he goes cooper cooper he said always shouted cooper cooper i've got a job for you cooper he's like, hey celtic have got this guy they're calling him bonnie prince charlie so <laughs> it was charlie nicholas he's like seeing saturday i want you to let him know you're there <laughs> like, first opportunity you get, just let him know you're there. And he's like, okay, all right, boss. I, do you understand? And he's like, yeah, okay. Because fucking Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like every day. Cooper, remember what we spoke about? He's like, yeah, yeah, I remember, boss, I remember. Because Friday I was walking past this office. Cooper! He goes, yeah, what are you doing? I goes, I've just been training. Do you remember what we spoke about? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay, all right. So Saturday the match comes. Um, I think it is the quickest tackle in, um, or the quickest <laughs> foul in football history in terms of the SPL. Uh, Paul McStay kicks off, passes it to Charlie Nicholas. Bang, Cooper, two-footed, right through him. He doesn't even get booked, right? But apparently, like, it's a fucking... He'd, he'd get banned for fucking nine months nowadays with this tackle. And he goes, all the Celtic players just swam round him, like, pushing him. Like, the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Like, it's literally two seconds in the game. All the Aberdeen players are swarmed round him. Like, the fuck's up with Coops? What's going on? He goes, I just... I turned round to the dugout, and Fergie's just standing there going, Yes! <laughs> <laughs> And that's, you know, story Cooper told. And it was, it was such a shame. He, I mean, I guess we don't know probably what happened. He was found um, unresponsive in a, the bottom of a stairwell yeah. in Aberdeen. I mean, I, I guess the, the theory is that he'd, he'd been out for a night out, he'd gone back to a party and then he fell down the stairs, pished. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, he passed away. So sad loss because he was a hell of a character. And you can tell that all mm. the, the players loved him. Because I mean, he was just, he was that cheeky chappy. Yeah. Really, you know? And young, wasn't he? He was, you know, when, yeah. when on that side, he was a young guy. I mean, you know, obviously, either we spoke, you know, we just won't go on about, about Willie Miller again because we spoke about him quite a lot earlier. But um, I had a, a I, I've obviously got a, a, a sort of opinion of Willie Miller and what type of guy he is and stuff just from meeting him round about and stuff. Um, and to see him in this documentary having to like, stop the interview mm. essentially and sort of compose himself is a side of because you know you see Willie Miller and his pomp when he was a player and the sort of player he was physical player commanding player and stuff and then you sort of see him around town and things for years when you're younger you know you just wouldn't you know you just didn't realize that that layer that a sensitive layer is there, but obviously, I'm, a, lot, a lot of people will know him a lot better than you and I do. But um, yeah, it was surprising mm. and sort of testament to the fact of what, uh, how much Cooper meant to him, and no doubt to the other guys on the side that they won the European Cup Winners Cup with. You know, yeah, they, they showed this documentary. I think the night before it aired on the BBC, they showed it in Aberdeen. Right. some event yeah. um, and uh, the team were there and they did like an interview afterwards and that's where Miller said about the what McGee had said was wrong mm-hmm. in terms of they wouldn't you know didn't have a chip on our shoulder um, and he actually said whilst he was being interviewed he said please don't ask me about Neil Cooper because yeah. I'll yeah, start yeah. well up again so please don't yeah, like yeah. that's off the table which says a lot and I yeah, think it's, sure. yeah. But he's a, he was just a wonderful character and a, a very sad loss. And I know a lot of Aberdeen, pretty much every Aberdeen fan was was um, gutted yeah. when, he, when he passed away. And he's still very fondly remembered yeah. um, amongst the team. Yeah. So um, so that 11 that started the match in Gothenburg against Real Madrid, do you know that's the first time that actual 11 played together? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And they only played, to- that actual exact 11 only played together twice. Right. In Gothenburg, and then against Rangers in the cup final, 
the next week, 10 days later, I think yeah. they say in the, the documentary, yeah. which we win 1-0 and <laughs> it's it, it, it's gone down in history in terms of, you know, Aberdeen fans, the folklore, like Fergie fucking raging. On yeah. the, he's just won the, the European Cup Winners' Cup and the Scottish Cup and he's fucking raging. I think you'll find but, that Alex McLeish and Eric Black won <laughs> the Cup. No, <laughs> it's, uh, it's Miller and McLeish. Oh, Miller, Miller and McLeish yeah. won that. Yeah, Miller sure. and McLeish won that. Uh, 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 Jesus Christ, come on. <laughs> like, but yeah, absolute just raging at the performance. Like, come on, guy. The luckiest team in the world. What a disgrace of performance. We've just lifted a European trophy. You're Aberdeen, remember. The managers are on the pitch, you know, giving a rant about it's unacceptable how we played. Were you surprised by the way that Miller McLeish won a cup for Aberdeen? We're in the dressing room. I remember the, the door opening like a saloon door. And you know, we're going da 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 da. And he walks in, and the atmosphere just went like that. He was raging. But that was, that was the man. That was the standards he set himself and obviously set us. Well, Miller McLeish played Rangers themselves. A disgraceful performance. So a guy is though, you know what I mean? I guess he's, you know, he's got high, very high expectations of his players, you know. Um, mm. You know, I suppose that's why he was as successful as he was. I mean, I don't, you know, easily the most successful Scottish manager, more successful than Matt Busby, I would say. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? I like, think he's... Yeah, I think I mean, I'd, I'd imagine Pep Guardiola will probably overtake him at some point. But, but he's not Scottish. He is like the, <laughs> uh, no, I meant in terms of the greatest manager right, in history, yeah, yeah. like in terms of of trophies won and stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Fergie's up there, like you know, and just it's it's the continual. You could say he'd done it again and again, but he did. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he rebuilt. You know, okay, he left Aberdeen to go to Manchester United. I don't think any you know Aberdeen have never been the same since he left. Really. Yeah. yeah, like and but then Man United have never been the same since he left either. Exactly. Exactly. You know? So it's not a, a coincidental thing. It's Fergie. He yeah. was the difference. And it took him his time at Man U. It did mm. take him a few years. And he was, you know, he was close to get he was one game away from getting sacked. And thankfully he pulled through and then it just all changed. And he just went on this, you know, incredible run of just winning fucking everything. And <laughs> he was amazing. And he will always be an absolute legend. Yeah. Alex Ferguson, you know, I just mean, absolute legend. Arguably he would not have had the time that it took him to get Man United to start being successful. Like now, you know, no. it would never. You know, if you no. if, if you're not if you're not doing the business after a se- after a season, you're out in your arse. Yeah, maybe you've been sacked halfway yeah. through the season. Even look what happened to fucking Gerrard's at Aston Villa. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, just last year. So, um, you know, I guess it was a different time. It was the old Division One, Division Two, as opposed to the Premier League and the Championship, or, or you know, the SPL, etc. So, I guess just the. The mentality was different then. It wasn't like it wasn't. I suppose it to be a, a, a bit of a cliche to say it, but I think there's a, there's a grain of truth in it that you know the money wasn't the kind of business element of football back then. I don't think was the driving factor like it arguably is now, especially south of the border and in and in the SPL. You know, maybe to, mm. to maybe not to the same extent, but it's definitely it definitely exists. And you know, guys get time to. Guys got time back then to build teams and build a rapport and start chipping away and get you know get some success. But you know, arguably, there's no one, no one's done it like Fergie for sure, no. and probably nobody ever will because I can't see the game revert, the game changing back to those mm. old mentalities that existed in the seventies and eighties. You know, no. Mm. Uh, so. One thing that isn't covered 
in the documentary that I was a bit annoyed about because I, <laughs> I still got my copy on white vinyl is the European song, yeah. <laughs> which was the song recorded by the team for the final. And it's it's a beautiful song. I wish I could play it on this podcast, but I won't because it might get into some sort of copyright issue. But <laughs> amazing lyrics. you know. We're the Dons from Aberdeen and we're the finest that's ever been. <laughs> and we are going to do it for you. We are going to do it for you. Uh, and the chorus, of course, you know, we've taken our team into Europe. <laughs> yes, we have. Oh, yes, we have. <laughs> All the way, every night and day, singing a European song. <laughs> and that's it, basically. It's just repeat. After that, they only mention three players. You know, normally you'd have yeah. all the players kind of name checked in the song. No, it's just McLeish and Miller and Strachan too. <laughs> like that's it. Like, that's the only three players mentioned. So no, uh, no Mark McGee rap or anything. And no, there's no, there's no Mark McGee rap. Um, the only other mention name check is Alex Ferguson. Uh, we can sing and we can play. And Alex Ferguson, he knows the way. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, but it's a beautiful song. Yeah. Still got my uh, my copy on white vinyl. I'm, sure, I'm, so, I'm, I'm okay. sure you. I'm sure you'll be legally safe to play like twenty seconds of the best part of it in the pod if you wanted to. Oh, I might do. I might uh, close out with a little bit of the European song. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the thing is because the popular song when I was a kid, I remember in a playground around about this time, which was soon disproven by the. Um, by the victory in Gothenburg was that everybody used to say that Aberdeen couldn't kick a jelly bean, um, and obviously that oh, turned, turned out to be to be wrong. And, yeah, and turned out to be very wrong. Yeah. Turned out to be very wrong. That's uh, <laughs> scandalous, scandalous. Um, team did very well. Um, they got to the semi-finals of the '84 Cup Winners' Cup, mm. and we lost to Porto, um, which is a, a game shrouded in conspiracy that right. the ref was paid off um if you know what i mean and uh, we would have got to the final we would have played juventus in the 84 cup winners cup final but we lost to porto um but yeah okay. I, I won't say anything about that other than <laughs> it's shrouded in cheating bastards <laughs> um okay so sort of one sort of one last point i would make about this documentary um not related to the football what a fucking cracking soundtrack yeah yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. brilliant. I noticed that too. Really good yeah. soundtrack. Talking Heads, Depeche Mode, everybody was there. Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> really enjoyed. Um, the only other point I would have had was the it was there was like a documentary within the documentary, right. which was there was there was clips of Fergie just after his first year, mm-hmm. and his voiceovers were so stilted. Um, yeah. in terms of what he was, you know, I didn't enjoy my first season at Aberdeen. <laughs> But I was determined to make it a change. You know, yeah, and yeah, when yeah. Watched, I always believe in youth players. I think youth is good. <laughs> so I'm going to bleed some of these youngsters. Like, it's, <laughs> oh, come on. He's improved a lot over the years. Yeah. <laughs> He's definitely much more comfortable in front of the camera um, <clears throat> yeah. these days. Did you? Did, I mean, I guess you watched the documentary about him that his son made and never back yes. down. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Highly, yeah, very good. Highly recommend it. Very good. So are we going to attempt to put this documentary through our Swally Awards. I've got one missing, but yes, I've got something for every Have category. you really? Okay. Yes, I do. All right then. So first off then, <laughs> not sure how this is going to work, but I'm, I'm glad you're prepared. Um, the, <laughs> the Bobby the Barman Award for the best pub in the documentary. I presume you'll just agree with everything I say, I would imagine. <laughs> um, it's the, uh, the ferry over 
is the best pub. Yeah. Like, I would, I would fucking love to be there yeah. at that time. Not nowadays, but at that time, I'd love to have been on that ferry over. <laughs> so that's my choice for best pub. There's something about crowds of guys all stood around, have big, getting smashed, that inspires the odd one or two to just sort of leap into the middle of them and start dancing <laughs> in a funny way. And it sort of goes on now. You see it happen even these days, you know, occasionally. Yeah. A bit of music on in the pub or whatever. Someone just leaps into the middle, starts body popping. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Gets the cock out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um, <clears throat> okay, next one then. Um, the, the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. No, I, so I, I didn't. I didn't see Cosmo on the bench for either no. Real or Aberdeen. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Um, I, I I put Alex Ferguson just purely because he's probably been in more Scottish things than yeah. anyone else, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it's clutching at straws there. Uh, straw hats and trumpets. It's clutching <laughs> at there. So hats and trumpets. Um, okay. Um, the uh, the you the Ewan McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. I'm intrigued. I've got nothing. For this, this oh, is the right. one I've got nothing for, okay, unfortunately. Okay, um, oh, you could Archie give it Knox. to, yeah, you could give it to Knox being stripped naked and pelted with snowballs. We didn't see it, but uh, we heard about it. So yeah, let's give it to Knox. I, could, I mean, I was going to say it could lead to a new category, the Archie Knox Award for um, for uh, undesired nudity, but that's me going down a dark path. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the well, I don't. I'm going to say here the the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. <laughs> I, I mean, early on you see Fergie and it's muted, but you can yeah. clearly see him mouthing the words "Oh for fuck's sake" or <laughs> yeah. "Fuck." I think it's "Move it fucking forward." Um, <laughs> but then when you see the clip of Knox, it's just a every second is a fuck. Like <laughs> you can, you can. And it's clearest day what he's saying. But yeah, so it's silent swearing, but it's that, and it's just it's beautiful. He's angry for his fucking fuck fuck. It's uh, yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's I guess it's particular to Scottish, English, and Irish managers and coaches on the in the bench. But like back in the days. I remember when I would watch football with my grandfather or whatever. You you wouldn't really be able to hear what you know, you could. It was obvious. It was obvious. You know, you, you didn't have to be like a lip reader to know what oaths were being bellowed across <laughs> the fucking park. But these days, um, because like technology, equipment, and everything is and sounds technology stuff is much better. Whenever you see a manager giving it both barrels in the touchline, you can often hear on the TV <laughs> like reasonably mm. clearly what they're saying, and it, even to the point where sometimes the commentators have to, well, oh, we're, well, we're sorry about that. A little bit of uh, yeah. passionate language there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are we up to? Oh yeah, so the. The Jake McQuillan your tease out award um, is it Willie Miller giving the or Leighton I guess um, yeah yeah stopping the yeah that was yeah <laughs> as discussed earlier Leighton wiping out the Madrid forward yes that's yeah. definitely my tease out yeah. Okay. Uh, archetypal Scottish moment. Just the sheer amount of booze and crates of tenants <laughs> that were getting put on that ferry over at Gothenburg. Um, either that or the guy being interviewed. What yeah. are you going to do after the game? Get drunk. What are you going to do if you lose? Still get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, they're great choices. I think, I think that underdog, the victorious underdog 
element. There's, yeah. I think there's something quite Scottish about that because we're obviously like, yeah. we're a small country, small population, but you know, like Aberdeen beating Real at Gothenburg is just one example of uh, of a small band of fucking Scottish desperados beating a a better equipped, uh, mightier force. Um, you know what I mean over over the years. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's I think there's something quite Scottish about going in. They certainly wouldn't have been the favorite. I mean, it fucking hell, it'd been, it'd been great to get a fuck. I wonder if anybody made a lot of money off of that, like back in Aberdeen against Real. I wonder what the odds were at the bookies. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah, st- no idea. Stick a yeah, turner on. Um, should look that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I bet a few people made a few quid off that um, over yeah. the years. A few like. And probably Aberdeen fans at that, um, mm. but um, but yeah, I think there's something Scottish about going in. The expectations would be not being as high, and I know the Aberdeen fans. Their expectations were, I'm sure, a lot of them were like, "We're going to fucking, you know, we we can win this, we can win this." But I'm sure yeah. outside of the supporters, it was probably a bit of what fucking watch Real absolutely take my part, you know. Well, that's what it's Fergie that says the documentary. Or is it Archie Knox that says, like, he, you know, Fergie went to watch Madrid That's right, a couple yeah. of times before and he says, we can beat them, yeah. but don't tell anyone. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> don't tell anyone. I've got a tenor on at William Hill. <laughs> <laughs> like, so he was convinced that we could win. He yeah. knew. But it says a lot about his mentality to be like, right, don't tell them. Yeah. But we can beat them. Yeah. Because I guess he wanted them to be a, find out for themselves. Yeah. Be over cocky and, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, fucking right. Um, and then I suppose who won the documentary? It's got to be Fergie, isn't it? Right. Well, I'd just put Aberdeen, Aberdeen. as a whole, the yeah. team. But yeah, I mean, it's probably Fergie overall. He went on to mm-hmm. the greatest things out of, of anyone in yeah. the, the documentary, really. So, yeah. yeah, I guess Alex Ferguson did win it at the end of the day. It's great to see um, some old footage of the city, though, as well. You know, like mm. around Pataudry and sort of up, up King Street and stuff like that, with the homecoming down Union Street and things. It was uh, in the in the airport, you know, when, everyone, when we were showing people leaving. It was like 50 flights or something like that went that yeah. day, the day before the game from Aberdeen to Gothenburg. How long? Because obviously the open-top bus goes quite slowly, and yeah. it says that they, they went from the Vice. airport yeah. to... Like down to Pataudry, like how that must have taken fucking hours. Well, it must there must have been a like, few country roads involved as well. There, surely back in those days. Yeah, yeah true. Actually, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, even maybe the they just sped up. Yeah, maybe maybe. sped up along those. Yeah, yeah I'm and sure. Then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, sit down, boys. We're going to go fast. Yeah. And then if it, back yeah. to a snail's pace once We'll stop the... here if anyone needs a pish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, yeah, no, though, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, mm. I've got, I'm incredibly nostalgic for Aberdeen and and 1980s Scottish football. Well, not just Scottish football, but just 1980s football in general. But, but you know, there's something special about, a, you know, like a team. And I, I, I can't imagine... You know, like Rangers, the Rangers and Celtic are highly unlikely to ever win the Champions League. I mean, they're highly unlikely to win the fucking Europa Cup. You know what I mean? So if they are, you know, so it's unlikely that it's, you know, hopefully we do see something like this again. But, you know, you wouldn't like bet on seeing Aberdeen win the Europa Cup. I mean, fucking amazing if they did. But you wouldn't like... (laughs) You know, um, you know. So for something for for something like this to happen for a team, you know, I think for any for any sort of Scottish team to 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 win a European trophy. Um, um, I mean, days, I'll be honest. Like 
in recent memory, there have been three occasions, I think, where Celtic and Rangers have got to usually the Europa Cup yeah. uh, or UEFA Cup final. Yeah. Um, I think well, Rangers twice and Celtic once. And I'll be honest, as an Aberdeen fan, I'm always supporting the other team purely <laughs> because Aberdeen are the only team to have won two European trophies yeah. in terms of the, the Cutners Cup and the Super Cup. One European we, trophy and uh, one, one trophy and one plaque. <laughs> as, a, as a plaque tent but um and that's why we have two stars on the on our jersey and yeah. i know uh, some fans don't agree with this but fuck it we've won two european trophies fuck it we're allowed to have it so i think that's why we don't want that record to go away and it's the same as anytime real madrid get to a cup final i shit myself because i'm like oh fuck <laughs> please win because <laughs> yeah. We need that stat to keep going. You know, 40 years, Real Madrid have never lost a European final. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the two things. I always support whoever's playing Rangers and Celtic in Europe and whoever, uh, I always support Real Madrid in a final. <laughs> cool. So this is normally be the point where I would say, well, Nicky, I was my choice to pick uh, Once in a Lifetime, the Aberdeen uh, 1983 documentary. So that must mean that it's your choice, but it's not your choice. Whose choice is the next episode? <laughs> it's not, yeah. So on the last episode of The Swally, I spoke to Gary from Doric Skateboards and I asked him at the end of the interview to select a piece of Scottish media to review. So I will hand over to Gary and myself to uh, to hear what we're going to be talking about on the next episode. There's normally, at the end of the episode, Greg or I pick what we're going to be watching next time on the Swally. So yeah. I'd like to extend to you a pick. So okay. I'm going to say, Gary, why don't you tell us what we're going to be watching next time on the Culture Swally. Okay. Two, two picks for you, just in case, okay? <laughs> okay. And I hope you've not covered them all. I don't think you have. Well, I don't think you have. Let's have a look. But uh, number one is My Name is Joe. No, we haven't covered that. No, and it's been on our list for a while, so yeah. Peter Mullen, from Peterhead originally. Brought up in Glasgow, though. Um, won Best Actor at Cannes for that. Mm-hmm. I think in 96, 96, 97. Yeah. Written by Paul Lafferty, who's Scottish and wrote Sweet 16 and loads of Ken, directed by Ken Loach. Paul Lafferty works with Ken Loach a lot on his um, his films, like uh, I think he wrote Angel Share as well. Yeah, what else? Um, but it's brilliant. Um, it's got your guy uh, Gary Lewis as well, and it yeah. who's in everything. Um, a few other few other faces you recognise, but yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it sounds miserable. It's the story of an alcoholic in Glasgow <laughs> and his struggles to um, to not fall off the wagon. But I think it's brilliant. I think it's I think it's one of the best. Yeah, you, uh, you say it's miserable, but it's it's a perfect kind of. Inc- encapsulation of a Scottish film in terms of it is dark but it's hilarious at times as well absolutely absolutely brilliant film Uh, well wonderful yeah oh that's fantastic so there we go Greg on the next episode we'll be looking at the 1998 film Starring Peter Mullen and directed by Ken Loach. My name is Joe. Mm, it's, it's surprising it's taken us so long to get around to doing this one. Yeah, as I said in the clip, Gary, just then, like I, I think I've a couple of times I've, I've like, right, I'm going to pick that next, and then for some reason I haven't. Like something's come up or something got in the way, and I think you've been the same too. And it's uh, yeah, it's surprising it's taken us so long, but there we go. Yep. My name is Joe. Coming up on the next episode Brilliant. of this well. Um And if you're not in the UK and you'd like to watch the Once in a Lifetime documentary, it, for the time being, I'm not sure if it's meant to be there, <laughs> but you can watch it on YouTube. That's where I watched it. Um, if you are in the UK, I believe that at the time of recording, which is Sunday the 4th of June, it's still available on the iPlayer. So Yeah, I'll have a, a check and see if it's on YouTube before the episode comes out, and I'll put the link in the description of the podcast. Cool. 
Um, right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to give us a little email to tell us any news stories you'd like us to cover, or if you've got any requests of something you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to get in touch and say hello, then please do on cultureswally at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Insta at cultureswallypod, and you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod and Greg, we have a beautiful website as well, don't we? Yep, you can find us at uh, cultureswally.com. Um, lots of uh, like, well, links to all our episodes, a few articles on there. Maybe I'll try and write something about the about the Aberdeen team of 1983. Uh, maybe, if I, <laughs> maybe not, we'll see how we go on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, come over there and check us out, and uh, don't forget to go and see uh, Gary at Doric Skateboards as well, and uh, check out all his items and and avail uh, our offer. Get yourself 15% off. Wonderful. Right, up to anything else uh, today, Greg. I'm off to go and support Park Thistle for uh, <laughs> yeah. for. The afternoon. Uh, I'm off to try and get uh, Radio Scotland. But the problem is with Radio Scotland here is I can listen to it, but if there's a game on, it says you know you can't listen to it because you're oh. not because you're not in the UK. But there's ways around it, um, which I will yeah. avail. And I'll of listen, course, I'll listen to it on the radio, old school, like uh, the old football gods intended. <laughs> you know, I did that the other week. Um, I can't remember what game it was, but it was an Aberdeen game, and I the stream I was watching was pretty shit quality. And I thought, you know what? I'm I'm just going to listen to the radio because then I can I don't have to sit and watch it. I can just put my AirPods yeah. in and walk around the house whilst listening to it. Yeah. And it reminded me of when I was a kid. And if if I wasn't at Pitodry, then I'd be listening to the game. If it was an away game, I'd yeah. be listening to it on the radio yeah. on a Saturday afternoon. It just reminded me of that, and it's mm. it's really. I really enjoyed it, yeah, just yeah. listening to it. No, I'm just set in focus, and then, you know, it's it's the excitement of the commentary. Yeah, yeah I really yeah. enjoyed it. I used to do it a lot when I was driving for work. You know, I, was, I would listen to a game on the radio when I was driving, and it, it always reminds me of my granddad's. My granddad used to always uh, have the radio on on a Saturday afternoon in the kitchen, like all day. And it would just be, mm-hmm. would, but if there was a game being played in the TV, he was a big Rangers fan. So he would, if Rangers were playing, he would, uh, if it was on the television, like on Grandstand or Scott Sport or whatever, he would um, watch it. But he would have whatever other game was on on the radio mm-hmm. in the kitchen. And then you'd have the pools later on. You know what I mean? Well, when they would, um, when they would read the, the scores yeah. for the day. And that, like, really emotionless voice, you know, like Partick Thistle, one, Queen of the South, nil. <laughs> you know, it's like no emotion whatsoever. <laughs> Result. So yeah, yeah, so that's what I'll do today. I'll um I'll try and get hold, I'll try and get the part of game on the radio somehow, and uh, I'll just listen to that while I'm pottering about. Very nice. Oh mm-hmm. well. Okay. Well. Uh. Yeah. I will look forward to to speaking to you in a couple of weeks, where we look at my name is Joe. All right. Till next time, then, Greg. Till next time. Hey!